Hey, welcome back to Smart Casual. I'm your host, Emma Doe. And I'm Amy Mai. Welcome to our third episode. We are finally here and I'm so, so relieved because it's been such a long time coming. Um, and I don't want to get into the habit of apologising for being <laughs> late with content every time, but I feel like every time we have an episode, I'm going to have to say sorry. It's taking this long. <laughs> no, we shouldn't say sorry. I had someone tell me, you know when fashion bloggers are like, sorry, it's been so long since my last post. I hope you guys haven't missed me. <laughs> and it's like, I haven't I missed really you. Haven't. <laughs> <laughs> What's new with you, Amy? What's new with me? Feeling the grind. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this yeah. outside of the show. Yeah. Um, about nine to five work and how our bodies are just not accustomed to it. Well, mine is just weak. And I, I just don't to... think it's uh, natural for the human body to do <laughs> nine to five. Um, but then again, you know, I have friends who do like 12 hour days and they don't complain. So, okay. Uh, that's pretty I'm hard. Right. Yeah. Nine to five is fine. When, when you like <laughs> assess your life after a week of being exhausted and you're like, actually, it's not that bad, I guess. Mm. It could be worse. It could it always be, be worse. worse. <laughs> um, but the, I feel like the thing that has revived me in the last 24 hours is Savage, Savage. Fenty, Rihanna's Rihanna. new lingerie line, which Blessing launched us. yesterday, US time? Yesterday, yeah. Very, very recently. Um, and you queued up online. Uh, like, you were in the online queue I didn't, for 40 minutes. I, I totally forgot that it was um, releasing yesterday and then um, I saw everyone's tweets. So I jumped on and then I was in a queue and it was like, you've got, it's 45 minutes left till you're in in like first place so I waited and as soon as I got on everything that I wanted was sold out oh, man. Um, but it was all it was all amazing um, I'm just shocked at the breadth of the collection because mm. it's it's actually huge it's yeah, not just it's like, like here's 10 exclusive pieces it's yeah, like it's a full, yeah, full style range, range yeah. and full size range and full just for every occasion yeah yeah, um, you've got basics, you've got kind of like slightly yeah. sexier, <laughs> lacy things. Yeah, and, and then, then you've, you've got, got like the kind of like, I guess, Rihanna's version of loungewear, which is yeah, like marabou yeah. feather and mm. mesh kimonos and There's robes a bit of like a fetish wear touch yeah. to one of the, so there's like three or four distinct mm. categories and there's one that like yeah, is, is the most the- out there playful Oh, like the um, coupless you know, bodysuits in the nipples like, or like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of stuff that Rihanna would be like, if I'm wearing a bra, I'm only wearing a bra. And That's if I'm not it. wearing a bra, then I'm wearing a top. Her famous words. <laughs> yeah. like, I love... Such oh, I just love all of her I style. Her. I, I love that this is kind of like the extension of Fenty Beauty in that it's redefining what nude is. Because mm. traditionally in fashion, nude is always beige because yeah. default is a white person. Mm. And so she's obviously there's many, yeah. many shades of nude ranging from beige all the way, like the many shades of brown, yeah. um, tan, dark yeah. brown. Yeah, again, I think it is for brown and black women to feel included yeah. in lingerie. <laughs> I believe it took Rihanna to have to yeah. shake up the industry. But also who else? <laughs> who else would do it? Who else would do it? What a great, not great segue into our topic (laughs) of today, (laughs) Um, which is unisex and gender neutral fashion. Mm -hmm. 
So something that the fashion industry and fashion media has been talking about a lot in the last five years, I would say. But I would also note that it's a very US-centric conversation, although I'm sure brands across the whole world are factoring this into their future retail plans. In researching for this episode, I was just looking at who's making headway in the space to create either a genderless retail space or a fashion brand that is inclusive. Basically, nearly all of them were US or UK-based so New York Fashion Week announced recently that they're actually they're going to annotate certain designer runways as gender neutral or oh. and unisex because there always have been these brands yeah. but they've had to like be categorized as menswear or women's wear. Yeah. It's it seems like a small thing to put in the show notes like this gender is neutral. yeah this yeah. is a unisex yeah. brand. But again, I think it's like a small step forward at that level. Um, and also in New York there's the f- the first genderless retail store called the fluid project oh yeah um, which opened really recently and that's specifically catering to towards lgbtiq people who have felt the traditional shopping experience wasn't for them felt judged by retail assistants Mm. for shopping in what people perceived to be the wrong category for them Mm. selfridges in the uk a department store in 2015 yeah had a agender retail space within the larger Selfridges department store. Mm. Um, Do they have brands? They had um, specific brands. I think they had specific brands that that identified as gender neutral clothing. But it wasn't that they just put all of the different brands that they already had Mm. in uh, in a less segregated way. That's the interesting interesting thing about the Fluid Project as well because they, they don't just stock um, this is the genderless retail space in mm. New York. Um, they don't just stock gender-neutral clothing labels. They actually mm. stock from a broad range of brands, but they're just positioning it in a way that's a more accessible. Way. Yeah, the brands that are doing gender-neutral designs, I think having having them as a separate labels that offer specifically gender-neutral clothing is really important in pushing those, I guess, aesthetic boundaries. But then... I think where it really makes it makes, makes a difference for the mainstream audience. It, yeah, yeah, makes a difference for the mainstream audience is having the space that doesn't segregate genders. Mm. Yeah, I think that's important to note because fashion designers throughout history have always played with gender and mm. like it goes from something as I think back like say in the 20s with Chanel, Coco Chanel. Mm. Um designing pants for women and making it kind of seem more normal for women to wear pants like Mm. in the beginning it was broadening what women could wear yeah and then it has also moved progressively to try and knock down the boundaries of what men can wear so Mm. in the 80s I think avant-garde fashion designers like Yoji and Comme des Garçons and Walter van Berendonk? Berendonk? <laughs> Is that how you say it? Yeah. I think so. The Belgian fashion designer, like he specifically wanted to play with skirts. Yeah. And he put forward, you know, the notion, why are skirts gendered as female? Men can definitely wear skirts as well if only we got it out of our heads that it was... A f- female-only mm. item. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think there's always been fashion designers, perhaps more on the fringe, who have subverted gender norms, but it hasn't taken off in the mainstream because society just wasn't ready. Society was still very much stuck in the gender binary. Yeah, 
men are this way, women are this other way. It's it's cool to to know that that's always happened in fashion, but mm. the reason I think it's more socially acceptable and there's a bigger conversation around this in fashion right now is because of gay rights. I think the public is more educated about trans rights as well and mm. issues of minorities. Yeah, it's in the um, it's definitely in the it's in our consciousness um, so. in the consciousness and in the conversation in a mainstream way more than mm. ever before. So even though there's a lot of progress being made in the US with um, unisex and gender-free labels, there are a couple, um, actually more than a couple, There's I can think of a handful of Australian labels that offer a unisex product. Um, but two labels that I think really stand out to me um, because they kind of go beyond just labelling a T-shirt as unisex. Um, one of them is JBC Lingerie, which is a lingerie a very small lingerie brand in Melbourne, all made by one designer. She sews absolutely everything. And then the other is Seeker Retriever, which I would describe as minimalist. Yeah, I'd say it's a it's quite a minimalist brand. Um, very classic, but um, very open to open to interpretation. Yeah, and I, the cool thing about Seeker Retriever is also that they um, they won't just use knits and stretchy material to make clothing that suits all bodies. They, I like that they use linens and stiffer kind of cottons, mm. but just cut it in a way that it is accommodating to for both for, yeah, for any for kind of body. Genders. Yeah, I spoke to them to get their thoughts on the design process and what drove them to make their label gender inclusive. Hi everyone, my name is Nan. I'm the creative director and owner of Seeker Retriever. We're a lifestyle unisex uh, fashion brand. I felt like uh, growing up in Thailand, I always have this like kind of like a facade of what you're supposed to look like as a girl. You know, like you have to like, oh, you have to wear a bodycon dress and then like a certain color girls can only wear and a certain thing is like for like the boys. So, like, I kind of wanted to rebel against that idea a little bit and, like, see how um, simple-shaped clothes could look on both sexes. So, what's the difference in the response from people, um, say, comparing Thailand to Australia? Like, It's kind of, like, a weird ground to kind of trend because, like, I think uh, for people now, when you say unisex fashion, they, like, they're thinking, you know, street style. Mm-hmm. Like, t-shirt, like, baggy t-shirt and, like, baggy, like, sports pants. And um, I felt like it hasn't gone into, like, the realm of, like, just just clothes. You know what I mean? Like, um, But, yeah, I mean, you guys, you know, design suits and linen pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you make sure that, that that fits, like, what's involved in the design process? It has been a lot of trial and error. Usually we always test, like, a sample piece on different types of body. Like, maybe, like, a pair of pants that I would say it's, like, unisex fit a guy a little bit differently. For example, like, if I wear uh, our classic trouser, it would just be, like, uh, just the perfect fit. But if a guy wear it, it could be, like, become, like, an ankle-length pants and things like that. But we try to um, uh, make it a little more functional so, like, um, most body type can wear it. Like, we use, um, like, a waistband at the back of our trousers. Mm. Does it change the way you approach sizing as well? Because, like, you know, a size S in women's, people will yeah. be used to that being a certain fit. And then so how do you size things for both? It's still a little bit of, like, an experimental phrase for us with sizes because, like, to me, I don't see clothes as, like, a one shape, you know, because, like, clothes kind of, like, has, like, a change 
different on the body type. And um, the way we approach sizing is just like make the items like the most kind of like non-restrictive as possible. So people could play with the fit themselves. Like let's say it's like a short sleeve shirt. A girl can just tuck them into pants or like tie it just like to make it more fitting to what they're trying to like send message to like more feminine or masculine. No, things like that. Mm. We let it uh, be like more of like a customer interpretation of the piece. Do you know if there's a, do you know of a gender split in who buys your designs or if, you know, people who don't identify on any gender buy your designs? I think um, a lot of people who buy our design is um, non-gender and also uh, quite a lot of girls as well. Um, most of the customer has like about the same profile. Like most of them are artists, uh, entrepreneur, like shop owners. So it's like it's quite odd that the like no matter what sex you are, but like you kind of like fall under the same creative category. So I think it's just like um, creative people has more like um, more attracted to clothes that they can wear that doesn't define who they are, you know. But like more like. Um, something they could wear but then people still see through the fashion facade and like look into their personality and the work that they do. What do you find challenging about designing uh, genderless clothing? It's just like the sizing thing like you mentioned I think because um, some people still don't get don't get it like um, they're wondering like how an oversized shirt could be feminine and likewise like how a guy can wear a tunic you know but it's just it's anything that you like to wear, you should just go ahead and wear it. And like the idea of masculine and feminine, like any, I think anyone could have um, masculinity and femininity in them. I think it means for me like um, seeing the person for their personality and who they are, kind of like under the facade of like what they kind of look like, you know. It would be more special if you could see a person like a person, not just like, oh, she's a girl or like he's a guy. My name is Bianca Connelly. I am the brand manager for JBC Lingerie in Melbourne. One of my favourite parts of my job, I think, is the, the photo shoot aspect. It's definitely like the fun part. Because yeah. I know you guys have you know, very diverse cast of people in your photo shoots. Um, really diverse range of bodies, genders. Um, race and sexuality, I think, um, which really stands out. But can you tell me why it's important um, for JBC to, to be so diverse with um, who they cast in the in the photos? Um, I think in a lot of ways it was kind of our, just um, what we personally wanted to see change in the lingerie industry. Yeah, we wanted to see different bodies in lingerie, not just like the, you know, irony in my tone if you can't hear it over the phone but like the traditional lingerie model mode just didn't appeal Mm -hmm. to us and it just seemed really uninspired and also really important for like customers or potential customers to see a whole range of bodies so maybe that they can see a body type that they can relate to and um, get an indication of how a garment or is going to look on them or how it might fit them or suit them. Um, and in just like a really practical way, we want to get as many different kinds of bodies represented so that, you know, somebody can relate to something and can imagine themselves in the garment and how it will look or function on them. 
So traditionally, like, as we said before, like, lacy underwear would be for, you know, societies. Like, it's for cis women. It's like, hyper-feminine. Um, mm. But I know that you do cast, you know, trans women. You cast, like, gender non-conforming people. And I've noticed that's present in your designs as well. You know, you explicitly state that this also caters for people who have penises. Was it your intention, or maybe Jared's from the start, to really challenge that notion of who can wear your type of underwear? Yeah, I don't think it was, like, was it our intention? <laughs> um, I think it was just a really, happy, like, a nice accident. Like, you just kind of want to be able to see anyone if they want to wear lacy undies, regardless mm. of their gender identity. If they want to wear them, it's, like, it's good for them to have a place to, to shop, you know, and, like, a, have that option available to them, and not only for, you know, people with vaginas. Yeah, it was interesting to hear their different perspectives, um between yeah JBC and Secret Trevor and how they how they are approaching the customer um and in in both of their approaches I guess it's almost like they're not they're not trying to show anyone how they should wear the garment it's just showing it um with JBC they're showing it on as many different um diverse bodies as possible so that the customer can see themselves and see that they they can wear it and with Seeker Retriever she's just left it up left it up to the customer to style it however they want and it's like putting no yeah it's putting no pressure on the customer to like wear it in any certain way or like it's almost like they haven't well they've tried not to describe or like mm. identify their customer either. yeah yeah yeah, because if someone likes your stuff, you don't want them to walk up to the walk up to the piece and look at the tag and be like, "Oh, it's it's only for women, mm. or it's only for men." That means I'm not allowed to buy it. Yeah, you just want someone to appreciate as, I'm sure, it. Yeah, as, as a designer, as a, as a design. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure designers are happy for anyone to wear their clothes. It's just that the way that business has always worked is that. Mm. Customers are used to shopping a certain way, so they'll have to shoehorn their designs into not necessarily shoehorn, but like <laughs> just to know, categorize it. Categorize it. All yeah. every every single facet of life needs to be categorized, so it's yeah. like easily digestible. Yeah, like yeah. Easily understandable. So people don't get freaked out. It's like, well, what is this object? Ah, well, it's an object for men or yeah. something. You know. Yeah, and now we're kind of being now able to. Like, see that critically and mm. wind it back and wind be like back. why this do we need a, that actually yeah, like this is just a thing and anyone this is can, an inanimate anyone, object yes, an inanimate <laughs> object anyone can like it anyone can put it on um but i feel like we have really talked a lot about the business side of <laughs> this um i think when we started thinking about this topic in the first place we were curious about what gender neutral fashion actually means for someone who is gendered non-conforming you, Amy, went to talk to some of your friends to share their opinions yes. on what they want from future fashion. Yeah. Um, I spoke to a couple of my friends, Andy, Holly and Leah, who all identifies um, gender non-conforming, about what a shopping um, space would look like for someone who identifies as a gender and what their ideal experience would be. And now we're, and now we're Thank recording. Thank you, pal. Did you want to come and sit on our soft discussion? I'm going to sit in the sun, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come. Okay. I don't know if we want to go around the table and introduce ourselves. 
Yeah, sure. I'm yeah. Andy Connor. I'm a non-binary writer and philosophy person. Mm, okay. I'm also that, except my name <laughs> is uh, Holland Pockets. I'm not going to use my singleton name. <laughs> I'm Leah Jing, um, writer and editor of Liminal Mag. To start off with, um, when you are shopping, um, what how does it how do you feel when you you walk into a store and it's like men's fashion is on one level and women's is in another level i'm very contrarian <laughs> so i think in some ways like i like like when I was, even when i was little um i was like wouldn't it be great to just be in all of the aisles but like i was recently at kmart and it wasn't even like um clothing just in the kids toys section that is the most alarming thing i've seen in like ages i just hadn't been to one in ages and like the really like janded push with the kids toys is just like it's it's strong it's really strong mm. like, i was really shocked like dolls dolls for girls well, and like trucks and yeah and, and there's just entire aisles that are like everything is pink and entire aisles where everything <laughs> is like war yes <laughs> yes Exactly. And those are the two genders, pink yeah. and war. Um, I know it's not close, but that's, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. I, uh, speaking personally, I haven't actually encountered brands doing gender-neutral clothing, and so I don't have actually mm. sort of really know how I think about that, but that's all good because I don't really shop for clothes in stores. Mm. Uh, I get pretty much all of my clothes online because... Mm there aren't judging eyes yeah, online right, yeah. uh and the the couple of times where i do go into stores where i'm like you know looking around op shops and stuff like and they have these like gender segregated um categories of things uh depending on the op shop you can mostly get away with just like browsing around and looking at each thing uh sometimes i have these like uncomfortable interactions with people who work in the stores where like they really they talk to me as though I must be like buying for someone else yeah. uh, and I kind of try and just I don't want to get into a whole thing with them mm-hmm. and so I, I yeah I don't know there are, so long as no one talks to me in the store uh, mm-hmm. it's it's mostly fine having racks for different things and you can sort of I don't know in big op shops like women's knitwear is my favorite section <laughs> of the store like there's always just lovely stuff in women's knitwear um, but yeah anytime where it becomes where that that sort of shopping experience becomes like social in any way mm. and with other people like reading what you are purchasing it immediately becomes very uncomfortable which is why i do most of my shopping online, online yeah. when i have seen gender neutral clothing it's, it seems pretty clear to me that um it's like a version of neutrality that is heavily infected by a masculine default mm, mm. uh which yeah like any i like supposedly like gender neutral clothing like on me would just read to ordinary people as like perfectly cis masculine mm. like that's just how those clothes would be this quote i think from cement garden mm. by amy kitten um girls can wear jeans and cut their hair short and wear shirts and boots because it's okay to be a boy for mm. girls it's like promotion but for a boy to look like a girl is degrading because you secretly believe that being a girl is degrading mm. that's yeah. a great quote yeah i love that a lot yeah 
The way that masculinity is coded as the default means that, yeah, like, if you sort of have a body that is read as female, by wearing kind of more quote-unquote neutral clothes or, like, masculine clothes, you can sort of, like, approach this fulcrum of genderlessness, whereas the inverse doesn't work. When you have a body that's read as male, there aren't actually any clothes, I don't think, that can bring you towards a point of being read as genderless. Like, Mm. when I, as a person who's read as male, wears more feminine coated clothes that doesn't i don't think intuitively read to people or to most people anything as like a, approaching a gender or like less gender it's like there's more gender in the picture there's too much gender <laughs> on me because yeah, uh, yeah I, there are just these conflicting signifiers some of which i can do something about some of which i can't it seems it seems like it would actually not be possible for me with the body that i have to have clothes that actually communicate genderlessness in a way that anyone else is going to get uh and so it's kind of just like a a thing that i've never really tried to do and i have kind of other ways of Mm. managing my goals and motivations with clothing Mm -hmm. i know you leah (laughs) i know you you have a slight aversion to um like wrap dresses and um anything anything low cut anything anything tight or anything Yeah, anything like cut or anything figure-hugging, because it... Oh, I suppose... Oh, do yeah. you wanna... No, no, no. Um, I was talking about this in terms of, like, <sighs> clothing is, like... Well, gender is power, and then gendered clothing is, like, ways of limiting power in terms of, like, movement and feeling comfortable and... Sorry. <laughs> so, like, just, like, taking the example of pants... Mm. being like only able to be worn by women when like mid 20th century like not even I mean there were people doing it well they were doing it but like was it yeah yeah, was (laughs) it okay no no not at all so like just even that concept of power so like Mm. now feeling more comfortable just being able to go about my day doing all the things in like clothing that doesn't hug my body Mm. is like is very powerful in a way Mm. um and not being um, easily objectified because you can't see my object. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> Until we degender bodies, I don't really know how you can have like gender neutral clothing that isn't sort of more getting towards that sort of shapeless kind of thing. Uh, because yeah, ultimately, I think like the clothes here are only like expressing a larger problem. It's not like the clothes are the the core root of the problem. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> if a brand released a line of gender-neutral clothing that was just like a, mm. like a cloud of vapour around your person <laughs> that turned you into just like a, a mobile cloud... Oh my god. They would make so much money. You would be so interested. Just like just a spray. Just like cloud. Yeah, just like the smoke monster from Lost. Yes. Yes. See, I definitely have like both these feelings. Like, I feel like that is like such a non-firing thing to be like, I just want to be a bag. Yeah. Can I just be a bag? But also like sometimes I'm just like, I just want to be really slutty. Yeah. I just, I'm just going to put on something really skanky. Yeah. That's like that's the hot pants. That's what the very hot, hot pants that we'll never talk about yep. ever again. Oh, they're definitely in my closet. I'm scared to record them forever. Holly is currently wearing the hot pants. They are bright pink. Fuzzy crop top. Yeah, right now. That's what I'm wearing. That's my casual Sunday wear. <laughs> um, but I think- like, that's a real thing. And then I feel like I'm somehow betraying something because that's not gender neutral enough. No. Like if 
but like I can't wear my fuzzy outfit. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking a lot about like dragging or like dressing up mm, as something mm-hmm. that you're not as being really fun. Yeah. yeah. So like right? um, embracing the curve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have this, but like <laughs> pretending stuffing my bra with tissues. <laughs> <clears throat> Holly is currently stuffing her bra with tissues. <laughs> Socks, tissues, anything soft. Mm. Um, yeah. But no, that's interesting that um, I suppose gender neutral or agender, you feel like that itself is a limiting box or like at least the perception of what gender neutral and agender style, mm. whatever that really is, is itself limiting. Yeah, I think that, like, what it really is, is that I fear not being believed. Like, if I dress one way and not another, I think that people just will not believe me. Mm-hmm. That if I was non-binary enough, then I would always be in a bag. Just bag life. <laughs> day in, day out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because clothing, I think, a lot is about externalising mm. your internal landscape. Mm. Um and people expect specific externalizations of mm. self. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to say it beautifully, then sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, in, in your utopian world, what does a what does a clothing store look like to you? I mean, there wouldn't be stores because there wouldn't be capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> How deep do we want to go on this? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I mean, I think it would just be uh, that, yeah, there would be a lot of clothes available to people that were uh, just def- defined and designated and categorized by entirely uh, gentlest terms, and people could just, like, wear what was comfortable to them uh, in whatever they wanted to do and whatever they liked, and people could just, like, really freely, in in, in a way that is, like, in a way that is that we are unable to access because of the world that we grow up in, able to just like totally freely pursue whatever mm. they like and whatever they're attracted to and whatever pulls them, whatever interests them, like any of that kind of stuff, and no one would say boo about it. Like that would be great. It would be nice if like fashion like led the charge. Like it's okay. It would be. There are so many ways of organizing a store so that it's like easy to find what you're looking for. Because like nobody's walking into a store being like to clothe my body in anything that fits my gender you know what i mean like there's so many ways to organize a store so it's easy to understand and find the things that you want even like according to a particular style whether that's like feminine or masculine or whatever like there are ways of doing that it 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 occurs to me that when it comes to when you just think like abstractly about what clothes are and things like that like if you have an enormous amount of a variety of clothes in a store and you're wanting to try and organize it and categorize it into various sections as to, as to what you would. The particular type of genitals that the person wearing this clothes is supposed to have is a very inconvenient and weird way to categorize a store. <laughs> when you're talking about clothes, it's like you have what type of fabric is it made out of, what sort of shape cells are. Like, there, there are all of these things that are more specific to the item, more germane to the item itself, mm. that you could organize stores around if mm. you wanted. <laughs> Velvet. Yeah. yeah. I want to shop in exclusively the velvet and corduroy sections. Thank you very much. <laughs> Neither of those things. <laughs> the not velvet and corduroy shop. Holly's going to the cotton. Yeah, I think it's 
consumer fashion isn't pushing the boundaries as mm. conceptual fashion de- designers, obviously, because they have yeah. to reach a mass market. Yeah. But it's also kind of disappointing because consumer fashion has the power. They have the they have the buying power and they have the resources to actually take it somewhere really progressive mm. um, and also to reach a wider audience and um, push the collective consciousness to think about gender in ways that maybe they haven't thought of thought of before. You know, it seems like there's a lot more um, talk than action. Mm. Um, there mm. are baby steps, I would yeah. say. I think they're testing the market at least. Like H&M and Zara both did unisex collections uh, one-off in the last two years. Mm. No, no, like, commitment or, like, promise to, yeah, to set aside. Testing, like, testing the boundaries just and testing. then um, seeing where the, what the market research comes up as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so in my research, I noticed uh, there's a lot of talk about Generation Z. So all the market researchers... Um, handing these reports to fashion brands are saying you have to think about the future and Gen Z is your future audience. They don't care about traditional gender binaries. Mm. There's a lot of room for growth and to expand your business if you can appeal to them, if you can market your clothes in a more unisex way, then there's, mm, then that's, yeah. that's the way forward. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind and look like a dinosaur <laughs> yeah. by the time Gen Z is here and their social values are completely different. Yeah. you got to listen to Zane and Gigi and J.D. Smith, <laughs> you know, shopping in each other's closets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let's not relive how cringe the, the Zane and Gigi thing was. Uh, R.I.P. Um, Zane and Gigi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah that's, I think that's a distinction that you have to make. Like, there's always going to be brands that have actually catered towards gender non-conforming people because, mm. you know, the, the designer might have been gender yeah. non-conforming. Yeah. Um, it's their lived experience. It's their lived yeah. experience, exactly. And now that the mainstream um, values have become more accepting, um, brands that didn't start that way mm. are going to try and yeah, they're gonna, they're take a part of that market, but it's yeah. going to look different. I think in future we'll see more, like... Um, like safer spaces in terms of putting all of the different brands together or like your already existing brands and just marketing them and arranging them in a different way Mm. in a way that feels a lot more inclusive like it's not necessarily that brands have to change the way that they're designing right now it's just if they want to be inclusive in the future and actually just reach reach a broader market which is kind of just good for Mm. your business right if you want to if you, you want to expand your audience, you can, yeah. you know, just make a few more sizes. Yeah, make yeah. a few more sizes and then take away the the gendered like category label, mm. um, designed for a range of bodies, and yeah, also so marketing, um, putting a bit, putting a, a little bit more effort into like showcasing a range of different um, models, models, yeah, mm. which showing which, the item the same yeah. item on it on different models yeah which is like already starting in terms of just women's sizing i think asos on their online store just putting for the same garment two different size models and showing that on each oh, item cool. page yeah um, i noticed everlane used to do that for pants yeah used to show how the fit was on different, yeah, size on different bodies. sizes yeah just so i think just so people can see it and if they can see it then they can be like yeah that's me 
Certainly from anecdotal evidence from Australian fashion brands, the, the people buying into unisex are usually female. Mm. There's not really split data to see what percentage of their market is like gender non-conforming, but mm. it's, I think it's evident across the world. I think that women feel more comfortable to shop in the men's department or to experiment outside of their gender category in yeah. fashion, mm. whereas men with men, it's, it's not really the case. that... Um, that space to play no, with their gender. not yet. You know, that's a different conversation about how hardwired masculinity and mm. how ingrained our perceptions of, like, of what masculinity should look like and be yeah. still hang around and it's going to take time to break it down. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. We actually have been talking about our favourite, some of our favourite um, celebrities who pushed the boundaries <laughs> of what men can wear. Yeah. Young Thug. Young Thug, <laughs> Dazed and Confused, editorial oh, of 2015, so I think, when yeah. he's wearing Molly Goddard, which yeah. is a UK designer who does this big jewel um, gowns. gorgeous. Rihanna so wore beautiful. one recently. Yeah. Uh, so, like... Jaden Smith, I think, recently was in a skirt for Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton yeah. in an ad. Kanye had his time in a <laughs> kilt way back when. He's always been more experimental. Very, very. Yeah. Bit probo now. Bit pro- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, quite probo now. <laughs> What's on your Shit mind? Talk time. <laughs> Favorite segment. <laughs> so, um, my my work recently relocated to Cremorne, and um, it's been really interesting. Just like it's only like a suburb away from where I used to work in Armadale, but the style is definitely different. There are a lot of um, like young branding agencies and uh, digital agencies and a lot of startups and I feel like the style or like the prevailing men's style (laughs) that I've noticed is like a blazer and a t-shirt right which like I don't know for me it's I thought startup I thought the startup uniform was um what you see on Silicon Valley which is the the, the hoodie and the (laughs) shirt and jeans jeans and like uh, the Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, the Mark Zuckerberg yeah, look. Kind of stuff. But that's not the look in Cremorne. It's, well, it's like, a blazer and a t-shirt. Well, like, at least in the older male category, it's like, it could be a Henley and a blazer, or it's like a V-neck tight t-shirt and a blazer, or it's just your regular crew neck and a blazer, which, I don't know, I'm questioning it. Okay, I know you expressed stronger, stronger opinions on this before, <laughs> like, you yeah. were just like... I dislike this. I really dislike this. (laughs) I don't know what what it is. I think it's, in my mind, there's very strict rules and, like, it needs to be casual or it needs to be, like, dressy. Like, I'm I'm perfectly fine with, like, a knit polo or, like, a a polo shirt. The blazer and T-shirt is is a piece of stylist advice that has um, maybe dated back to the early 2000s (laughs) when menswear became a bit Mm, more casual. Like, men had the... um, they didn't have to dress up all the time in like a button mm. button down shirt and a tie. Yeah, and, and a stuff. tie. Yeah. And that people stylists were saying it's so easy to look like smart Dressy, casual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just wear your yeah. white t-shirt with a nice wear pair of jeans and a blazer. blazer. The only people that you see in a t-shirt and a blazer <laughs> now are in their 40s because they received that integral piece of fashion advice in the 2000s but when the 2000s they were in their 20s are, and 30s. The 2000s are in right now, I feel, and sure these people aren't doing it ironically. <laughs> 
Um, but my my thing for this week is okay. So I went to Bali last year. While I was in Bali, I saw these really beautiful woven bags that are that kind of tap into this like eco chic modern dressing oh, kind yeah. of vibe. And in Bali. It was funny because I would go to one one stall on the side of the road and it would cost fifteen to twenty dollars for a really cute bag, and then I'd go into the markets and it would be thirty to forty dollars, and then I'd go into the tourist shop and it would be two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars. So I was just, Whoa, and they Bali. all look very very similar. Like yeah. they look like you know they're all lined with batik fabric and they're all woven in a circular shape or like in a square box shape. Mm. And I was just kind of thrown by the price variance and, yeah. and like, in such close proximity. Yeah, in yeah. in this like one part of Bali that I was in. But then as soon as I came back home, I started seeing it everywhere. Mm. I started seeing it on. You can get them at like Sports Girl. Yeah, probably. I they probably have their own version. Country Road has it. Too. I think yeah. Sports Girl probably has it. Yeah. And then I saw it on Urban Outfitters. Mm-hmm. And then I started Googling it and I saw all these boutiques, like Australian boutiques, being like, we source from around the world. We have a global perspective. Oh, my goodness. Like that kind of <laughs> marketing line. Cringe. Um, and then, so on those kinds of boutique stores, they, they were selling it for like 250 mm-hmm. 250 and I just, when I look at the bag, I just think, I think they're all made in by the same, they're all handmade, definitely. Yeah. But I, I have a feeling that they're all made by the same kind of factory or same business. In, in Bali. And everyone's just going to this exporter and buying it wholesale. Because if you compare like what you see at Sports Girl and what I got my friend mm. and what I'm seeing in these boutiques and what I'm seeing like people wear overseas, <laughs> they look all the, all the same. They're all the same. And it's incredible because I thought it was a micro trend, mm. like a micro low key trend. And then actually it's made mainstream yeah like I don't have an issue with it being mainstream it was just like like, oh my gosh um it was just funny to see it at all these different levels and I'm pretty sure they're sourced from the same place you see it all the time like you'll see it on DH gate or like Alibaba and there's they're in the store yeah like like 500% markup or whatever um yeah the internet has really allowed you to just see where everything originates from Mm. and you're just like oh that brand that's like slapping their label on that item obviously is buying wholesale from the same place as this other brand because yeah. I can see their manufa- yeah, like I can see their exactly distributor the online. Yeah, it's crazy the transparency of it all. But there, like, there'll still be like brands that like pretend that they've, they've made designed it or they designed it. Yeah, it's like no, you've just you've just bought some stuff at wholesale. Yeah, which is a legit business, I guess. Yeah, like, that's that always is a been. legit it's, business. It's a thing. But don't pretend. Yeah, don't, don't pretend you <laughs> don't have design try and integrity. Pull the wall over my eyes. <laughs> I see you. Fashion Revolution Week happened recently as well. Yeah. I felt like it came and went with not a huge fanfare, but I did really, I did really appreciate a lot more of the. We saw a lot of local Melbourne labels um, showcasing their makers. And, um, yes, I was like, finally! Was, yeah, it was really beautiful to see Yeah, the real faces behind all these brands, the, the people that are actually making it. And it's amazing to see how many... I mean, they're all women of colour and a lot of them are um, Vietnamese women. And it was just amazing to see them put front and centre. Um, Arnstoff's mm. window was really cute. Mm. Um, the three... They had three of their makers, three of their makers photographed and in, plastered in their front and centre. Yeah, that was really lovely to see. I think, yeah, that's what I, that's more of what I want to see in part of Re- uh, Fashion Revolution Week is, like, having the makers front and centre because 
a fashion label is not is not just the designer, not just like your PR team. It's like it's the people actually making the clothes, which is. Mm from what I've seen in past fashion revolution campaigns, there hasn't been as much of that let's go visit our makers in Australia and take photos mm. of them rather than the designer or the PR team or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see it happen this year. Mm. Arnstorff, um, a few of their makers, um, I think they've all been in the business for like 15, 20 plus years mm. and it, this has been their whole life and that's how they, yeah. how they make their living and like how proud they are of the skills that they have and that's that was really beautiful yeah <laughs> and really moving yeah yeah because we're both fit mm. um as soon as I saw the Arnstorff window and yeah. everyone else I was like oh my god yes finally like finally I see like the Vietnamese women that I know have always existed yeah in manufacturing in in Melbourne specifically and who have worked for all these years like I'm like oh like these are the people that we know from like friends of family or family and like um it's it's nice to see the see to have them exposed to everybody else yeah it's not just like something that we know about yeah yeah that window was just like it's amazing it actually meant meant a lot to us (laughs) like we've talked about it a lot actually (laughs) (laughs) cool is there anything else Thanks for listening to Smart Casual. This was recorded at Sin Studios at RMIT. Edited by Amy Mai and Emma Doe. Music by DJ Baby Bangas. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.